Hello and welcome to the Griswold Podcast on iCode Media. And today what I want to talk about was what is going on in the world today with COVID-19. And on this bonus episode, I'm going to discuss some of the resources for clinics and healthcare facilities that was just put out by the CDC this evening and has really kind of sent ripples through our profession on how to interpret that. I'll give you my interpretation. It's not a legal opinion. It's not an expert as in public health's opinion. Um, it is just somebody who will take the time to read what it says and, and give you my opinion on um, on what we should do. And, and I don't necessarily think that doing something different is wrong or right. Um, I think it, that's the time that we're in right now is uh, uncertain times and um, with not a lot of clear guidance because we've not been there here before. For starters, I want to kind of say that the one of the great things that I've been able to realize through all of this over the last 10 days or so, I've had numerous conversations with uh, probably close to 50 people, maybe larger than that, about um, about their practices through texts, through phone calls, through in-person, you know, contact before this sort of blew up. And the one thing that seems to be on everybody's minds is not their personal well-being. It's not even their practices individually, their, their practices well-being. It's for the well-being of their patients, the well-being of their staff in the event that they have to close their practices down. Um, how will they take, how, how will those patients be cared for? How will they pay their staff, keep their staff employed? Uh, I think there's ways to do it in the short term, but, um, when you're looking about at a uncertain timeline for how long this is going to draw out, that's a, that can become a real challenge really quickly. And so, um, how are they going to take care of patients who have, who need access to our services? Is it really the best way to suspend all of our services or a large portion of a significant portion of our services when there's probably no better place where patients can get eye health care, both urgent and emergent, uh, and even chronic management than our practices. They're not filled generally with patients who have other systemic illnesses. So if, if we're going to not see patients in our practice, we're going to have to send them to urgent cares, emergency rooms, primary care physician's office, who are already overwhelmed with taking, I can't imagine the number of patients that are coming to these locations with normal colds and flus, uh, even allergies this time of year that are worried they have COVID-19. And, uh, and the amount of, of, no matter how well those places are, are taken care of, the, the overload for those cases is going to be a challenge for those locations. And if we throw in the fact that we're not going to see uh, those eye care patients in our practices, to um, they're going to have to go someplace. And so I also think, you know, if I'm going to reflect on this, I, I think about going to a grocery store, for example, and the immense responsibility and rigorous cleaning and cleansing and sterilization that we put into our practice after every single patient. We literally follow them through the practice and sterilize right after them. And um, and those treat those cleaning protocols that, that we've put into place 
Um, and then I walk into the, the grocery store and anybody could have touched the can item that was walking in before me or the, um, the, the cart or the apple. Um, and unless I'm going to sterilize all the bags of food that I purchased and all the uh, canned goods that I purchased and all the paper products that I purchased, how is that going to be any different than or any better than coming into one of our practices where we've got very high standards for, for sterilization. Um, I also find myself really emotionally swayed uh, by who I'm paying attention to in different media. And this isn't blaming one source or the other source. Um, but as I reflect on that, it is really striking to me. And I, I sense that I probably have been swayed by by different media sources, at least very subtly for a long time. Um, but in this case, I, I tend to listen to what different experts will, will report on either in writing or uh, on interviews. Um, and then I think this, this is not that big of an issue. It's not a, that bad of an issue. I mean, it, it's serious for sure. And, um, and it is not to be downplayed, but I think we're going to get through this. And then I listen to somebody else and I think this is the end of the world. And so, um, so I just find myself in this time that talking through things with, with people, even though we don't necessarily have to agree on things tends to, um, feel like I, at least I'm empowered. I'm working through the problem. I'm working the problem as opposed to feeling like I, I'm just sitting back and listening to what somebody else says. Um, you know, one of my, as an example of this, one of my, and I've mentioned her before on the podcast, one of my uh, trusted colleagues uh, who I have an immense amount of respect for. Um, we had about an hour conversation um, about our approaches and you know, at, at times I think her approach is, is the way we should be going. And at times I think my, the way my approach is the way we should be going. And it, it was really illustrative to me that the conversation that she and I had was so valuable and it helps us feel empowered during this time, as opposed to feeling like we have no control over how things play out. Um, and, uh, you know, I, so I think within all of that, I, I think, um, realizing that we have other people that we can lean into who, have perspective that we may not agree with, um, but that can provide us ways to move through these answers um, and and arrive at these different answers and, and figure out different ways that we can uh, succeed within them, uh, I think is very helpful. The other thing that um, I'll mention tonight is the idea of telehealth. I just sat on uh, the AOA's telehealth um, guidance, and there's been a lot of updates from telehealth for COVID-19. And just to give you, a, I'll, have a, I'll have kind of a more detailed in-depth overview. I actually prepared this this afternoon before I sat on the the um, the telehealth uh, call with the AOA, but um, it was great because all the things that I thought were important, Rebecca Wartman thought were important, which uh, means a lot to me. She's I, I trust her a lot and she's uh, part of the AOA's Billing and Coding Committee. And so in general, um, prior to uh, COVID-19, some of the telehealth 
limitations. And we'll deal tonight on this conversation specifically with Medicare, but there's also potential guidance for Medicare Advantage, Medicaid, private insurers. But in general, when you think about Medicare, um, prior to uh, COVID-19, they limited reimbursement and restricted by geographic location, site, provider type, services, modality. Essentially, if you weren't in a really underserved area, you weren't getting paid by Medicare for um, for telehealth services. And in response to COVID-19, um, the, well, HR 6074 gave the secretary of, of, um, the secretary power to waive geographic and site restrictions to telehealth and Medicare. Um, it didn't expand eligible providers, but we were already included in the eligible providers and the AOA fought to make sure we were, we would maintain that inclusion. Um, and uh, you also have to have a pre-existing relationship with a patient. And, and so then kind of the, the take home, the bottom line is that there's this group of different types of, um, different types of uh, covered services. And as I boil it down, there's really two different types. One is a what will be called a virtual check-in. So essentially this would be a phone call from a patient and a brief communication technology-based service when the patient checks in with a provider via telephone or other telecommunications device to decide whether an office visit or other service is needed. That's CMS's, or excuse me, CPT's definition. And so, um, you know, the limitations are that they have to be established patients. They can't be related to an office visit in the prior seven days. So that phone call can't be due to a previous office visit. It can't result in being seen uh, for an office appointment within the next 24 hours. And it has to have within five to 10 minutes of medical discussion. The reimbursements on this are are relatively low. They're right around, if I recall, around $15. There's another level that is uh, using store and forward technology that's around um, $12 national averages. So it's not like it's, it's going to be a huge revenue generator. Uh, but essentially, my take home from this is if a patient calls in and um, and you can triage that patient on the phone uh with um, some advice and recommendations. Perhaps maybe it's a patient that has um, an irritated eye. They've had allergic conjunctivitis in the past. It's itchy. There's a little bit of white stringy mucus and um, and the patient, and you put that patient on an allergy medication and, and some cool compresses and they, uh, and they call you a couple days later to tell you that everything's fine and this treatment is working. That would sort of fit in that realm. What I tend to think is probably better is that Medicare telehealth services. And what Medicare telehealth services essentially are is that is the entire distribution of 99 codes uh, that are available to you for established patients. So the, um, the biggest thing is that this would be for, let's say, a patient that has a new condition um, that maybe complains of um, redness and irritation to their eyes. You ha- obtain a, a thorough uh, HPI review of systems, um, past family social history. They've been an established patient, and um, perhaps they have uh, not had a, a prior instance of something that you can solve really quickly over the phone. Um, but you'd want to um, evaluate that person in a face-to-face manner. Essentially, this would typically require a HIPAA protected mechanism for um, a simultaneous communication. 
communication technologies like uh, a FaceTime or a Skype, typically that wouldn't be appropriate uh, because it's not HIPAA compliant. You'd have to use a HIPAA compliant patient portal through, say, your telehealth. But specifically, the office of Insp- of S- the HHS Office for Civil Rights, the OCR, will exercise enforcement discretion and waive penalties for HIPAA violations against healthcare providers that serve patients in good faith through everyday communication technologies such as FaceTime or Skype during the COVID-19 nationwide public health emergency. And so uh, if you are uh, evaluating a patient through that system, you would obtain the best you know, evaluation that you can through that system and uh, initiate a treatment, then essentially for an established patient, you would code um, just like you would code for any other 99 code. 92 codes are not appropriate uh, and you wouldn't use the 99 codes in association with virtual check-in codes, for example. Um, you would just use them by themselves. The patient has to be aware that uh, that they are obviously participating in a telehealth um software and they have to be, um, they would have to, uh, also probably be made aware that, uh, it is, I would probably good faith tell them that if they want to call in this way, they, um, FaceTime or Skype is not HIPAA compliant, but if they, if they choose to, to seek care that way, they certainly can. And, um, and the other things I think that are take-homes, so essentially that's what you do. Medicare will pay for it. Other private payers may pay for it. We've seen Cigna and Aetna and Blue Cross Blue Shield make moves that way. There's some statements they they have on their websites, which I'll place uh, on the note, show notes of this podcast. Um, some common questions. Do you need a modifier? Yes, you need a 95 modifier. The place of service would be 02, which denotes telehealth services. And... Um, and, uh, and that should be it. That should really be the only difference. So you definitely want to document like you'd nor- normally document a patient. I would make a note in the chart that this was provided via telehealth services and specifically what, uh, technologies were used and then, uh, make sure you do your medical decision-making and you do your, uh, HPIs and your general history, uh, as well as any, ex- to the extent that you can perform an examination, I would perform that. And so I'll have more specifics on our iCode blog and iCode education in the future about this. I'm kind of ramping up to to do an entire uh, overview of this so that it can be very simple to implement with different examples. The um, The last thing that I wanted to talk about tonight was this uh, resource. I'm going to quote here from the CDC's webpage, and I'm going to put right now, I'll put in the, li- in the show links where you can find this and if you haven't already seen it, but... Um, as I read this, this, uh, it says specifically resources for clinics and healthcare facilities. And then it says it's a public health reminder. Again, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a public health wonk. Um, but it says resources for clinics and healthcare facilities, public health reminder. And then it says, quote, healthcare facilities and clinicians should prioritize urgent and emergent visits and procedures now and for the coming several weeks. The following actions can preserve staff, personal protective equipment, and patient care supplies, ensure staff and patient safety, and expand available hospital capacity during COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, bullet point one says, delay all elective ambulatory provider visits, Bullet point two, reschedule elective and non-urgent admissions. 
Bullet point three, delay inpatient and outpatient elective surgical procedure cases. Bullet point four, postpone routine dental and eye care visits. And then it says, tools and resources exist as part of a healthcare system preparedness plans and are often referred to as pandemic plans. Consult your state or local health department about specific plans for your community. So in any case, those are my thoughts. I, uh, I think please stay positive as much as possible if you choose to, to uh, shut your practices down. I think trying to help your team as much as possible, trying to find things for them to be productive, uh, improve them on the, on, you know, help them improve, help them find ways that on the back end of this, you will have, you know, uh, an entire explosion in your practice so that you can, you know, uh, catch up. It's just getting us through this particular time is a challenge. And it's one that we haven't taken lightly in our practice. And I don't expect any of you are taking lightly. And, um, and it's a real challenge. Uh, we have, we've had conversations and my wife and my father and mother who are partners in, in our practice. And, um, as I said before, our concern is largely is, is almost exclusively our patients and our, our staff. And, um, and I think being able to be together in this time, leaning into each other, um, and I mean, figuratively, obviously we have to keep our six feet distances, but, um, but leaning into the knowledge of one another, um, being respectful. I I see a ton of that, a lot of the social media that I'm seeing or email chains that I'm on, I'm seeing just a lot of respect. People do have disagreements, but what I love to see is that there's not a lot of, um, even in dissenting views, there's not a lot of, there's not really any um, sarcasm or, uh, or judgment in those views. I think reason, reasoned people can come to different conclusions at this point. And, um, and hopefully we'll get better guidance on, on how to proceed uh, that isn't as vague and doesn't, doesn't force us to uh, have to interpret things on our own but sometimes that's the way things go and and um in any case uh please be safe and um have a great have a great evening talk to you soon